Hi, this is Jordan. And I'm Brian. And you're listening to The Quality Varies. Hello, good sir. Howdy. How are you? I am fantastic. I am excited for what we got going on today. It's going to be another thick, thick one. Thick episode. (laughs) A big boy, huh? Yeah, it's a big, it's a big one today. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to ask you to forgive me. I am just coming over a cold right now. So that's why I sound maybe a little more uh, velvety or raspy. Mm. A little little gravelly. Uh, Yeah, I don't know how I sound, actually. I don't actually listen to the sound of my voice. Well, I admit I have more questions than answers from that as the person editing the show, but uh, but I'll take that <laughs> for what it is. All right, cool. We are talking about resistance today. We're going to dive into that topic and kind of our experiences with it. What is resistance? Well, I'll have you know, I have the definition pulled up. Wow, look at you since, all prepared. Yes, since you asked me, I will not put you on the spot like I have in previous episodes when we've been going over topics like this. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to run through uh, all of them. So an act of or instance of resisting, super helpful. Wow. Thanks, Miriam. A means of resisting. Need I say more? Um, please do. All right, let's try this again. The inherent ability of an organism to resist... Oh, okay, well, these guys really <laughs> got to use different words. <laughs> Harmful influences such as disease, toxic agents, or infection. Uh, the capacity of a species or strain of microorganism to survive exposure to a toxic agent. Uh, all right, three. I think I think three is, uh, is the best. Three is an opposing or retarding force. The opposition offered by a body or substance to the passage through a steady electric current. And then a psychological defense mechanism wherein a patient rejects, denies, or otherwise opposes the therapeutic efforts of a psychotherapist. Or, and this this could lead us down a whole other road, an underground organization of a conquered or nearly conquered <laughs> country. <laughs> yeah, that one. We're talking about that one. Yeah, we are. You thought we were done talking about D&D. <laughs> the psychological one, more similar, but it's an abstract word in the way that we're using it today. A couple examples for me, just to kind of throw, you know, throw everything on the plate and make sure the audience is with us. In school, uh, something that I very much despise, always a thing of like procrastinating, like I will do that paper later, I will study for that test or in my case, you can take it to another extreme and like maybe I'll drop this class instead of doing this assignment um, <laughs> or some something like that. Wow, that's healthy. Yeah. Uh, staying in bed in the morning, avoiding avoiding what the day has in front of me. Anything come up for you? Uh, yeah, getting out of bed. Yeah, definitely opposed to that most mornings. Mm-hmm. I'm opposed to tantrums that my kids throw. Uh, I think I probably resist those. Uh, <laughs> when does your day start, by the way, these um, days? It depends. One time this week, uh, my day started at about 5.45. Mm-hmm. Nice, my, good. Yeah. My five-year-old, Griffin, can now get my one-year-old, Grayson, out of his crib. So that's very fun. Now the one-year-old just has free reign in the mornings. Which Good. is, it's just terrifying. 
Um, yeah, I resist that. I'm opposed to that, I would say. Making lunch, for some reason, is a big one for me. I never want to make lunch, but then I get mad that I'm hungry. Oh. Can you relate at all? Interesting. Um, I have never... The thought of making a lunch to, like, bring with me to work or bring with me somewhere has never really just fit it has never fit into my life i think about that sometimes (laughs) my roommates they both just go to work they work nine to five and they bring a lunch with them when they when they go there most of the time Mm -hmm. i can't fathom that that seems crazy that seems crazy to me so no but i also don't have the consequences of that because i don't have that issue so i wouldn't expect you to make yourself suspicious admit anything but have you ever seen any other like motorcyclists running away from uh, police officers? Uh, just videos on the internet. Of course. I've had a thought. I've only been I've only really been pulled over twice on a motorcycle. The first time I was like I was in the middle of town. There was tons of traffic everywhere, so there was just no chance of me getting away. Mm-hmm. And the second time, I had the thought. I even had the urge. In my wrist to just like flick the throttle all the way down, because I was on yeah. like a deserted road. I had the jump on the police officer, so I was already going much faster than he was. And I, I, I still to this day question if I could have gotten away. But it was like two days before Christmas, and uh, I just thought, nope, nope, I'm gonna pull over. I'm doing something wrong. I should pull over. But he let me go. What a nice guy. Yeah, it was great. I think I even said, God bless you. <laughs> I never say that. I've heard a lot of experiences where just the motorcyclist pulling over instead of trying to get away does earn a lot of respect from the police officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it, it works for me. He even brought that up like, man, thanks for pulling over. <laughs> you were going pretty fast. Well, those that do run away, I would definitely use that as an example of, uh, of resisting yeah. any kind of consequences. Uh, sometimes people do it for totally different reasons. I can't relate because mm-hmm. uh, like we've already talked about, apparently I don't get uh, any kind of emotional kick off of going fast. Yeah, so. we, oh man, that still just mm-hmm. creeps me out that you don't feel anything. Ooh, on that, we're not going to talk about bikes today, but the week, week and a half, two weeks of 118 degree uh mm. weather uh here in the northwest and i uh i didn't turn my bike on at all it just mm-hmm. sat out on the street mm-hmm. the the sound of that didn't sound fun to me no uh, i would i would have to go fast in that case because i would have to be going like at least 60 miles an hour not to feel hot <laughs> no i can tell you from experience because we had pretty much the same weather in st george um mm-hmm. even going that fast the heat just hurts your skin like it's Ugh. it's just so hot that your skin just hurts. Ew. Yeah. Um, I went and there was a somebody passed another per- person a note their neighbor that these kids were going to have a lemonade stand and so a lot of these bikers were just going to go do a do a run out and go support this these kids' lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. And I was like that is amazing. That's of so course cool. I will do that. Uh, I knew that my battery was dead. Because mm. I accidentally left the key in two weeks ago. Mm. And I went out there an hour later and I realized and took the key out. But I knew it was dead. So I 
pushed it out into the garage, plugged it in, and set it to charge. Went out an hour later, and it hadn't charged at all. And I was like, ah, oh, what have I done? <laughs> and so I go out like six hours later. It still hasn't charged at all. And so I mess with it a little bit. I'm dinking around. I don't know anything about motorcycles. So everything I'm doing is pointless. <laughs> I come back out today. The battery thing is at full. It's at. It says the bike's at full charge. I'm like, oh, beautiful. <laughs> and then I hear this sputtering sound, like when the lid of a water bottle is just like not quite all the way sealed. Mm-hmm. A pressurized leak. <clears throat> and I'm looking around, and I like lean down to the bike, and it was the battery. And I was like, that doesn't. Oh no. That doesn't sound the best. Let me just try to turn it on. Uh, Oh, man. Didn't do anything. So that act was also me resisting. Mm. And there's a part of me that just wants to sell the bike off again now. And just be be rid of it. Uh, I put a couple down uh, to to get a couple more surface level ones. I put watch uh, YouTube videos instead of editing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I put that down at no uh, particular time in the last month. (laughs) adding to the show notes for future show ideas instead of editing Uh, i wrote that down also at no particular time right right Uh, there are a couple different ways to take uh, resistance there's a couple things that we want to talk about today but those are those are the things that we see in everyday uh, life there are certain things that i know i look at my desk and there are certainly things i avoid i have avoided on a regular basis i have uh, a to-do list on my phone there are things that, you know, I'll, I'll look at my phone and for the fourth time, I'll reschedule something to next week. Uh, all signs of, of different levels or different angles of uh, resistance. We're going to discuss some of the harm with resistance, but it's, it's not all bad. Some of the harm with resistance, but it's not all bad. With strength training at the gym, resistance is kind of a core part of that. Would you agree, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. What purpose What purpose does uh, resistance serve for somebody that can probably explain what goes on in the body better than I? Um, I'm sure it'll come up sometime in the episode. But uh, there's an old saying that I know you know, and it goes, what you resist persists. And we'll. I'm sure we'll talk about that philosophically in a minute. But physiologically... You're moving these weights around, your body is pushing against this resistance. And so one of two things can happen. You can drop the weights and potentially hurt yourself, or you can move through the resistance and become stronger. And uh, the goal of exercising, any kind of exercise, uh, especially weightlifting, uh, is to move through the, the resistance and and to get stronger and i'm sure it's a commonly known thing but the muscles are they are physically being torn up Mm -hmm. is that right yeah the actual strands of the fibers of the muscle are actually breaking they are breaking apart snapping ripping apart from each other and uh the recovery process is actually where you get stronger it's not all the weights that you lift at the gym that make you strong. It's sleeping after you work out that makes you strong. That's like a huge, a huge tenet of any kind of weightlifting, whether you're in bodybuilding or powerlifting or strength training. The workout itself has a lot less to do with your training than you think. 
Uh, it's all about sleeping. The best uh, weightlifters and bodybuilders in the world, they all swear up and down that if you're not sleeping for you know between 9 and 11 hours a day, you're just not going to be competitive at weightlifting because that's where that's where the uh, the change happens. Interesting. I knew that I knew a portion of that obviously, but um, I wasn't aware of the uh, stress that they put on it. Also, nine to eleven hours. It's a long time, man. A long time. Except except Arnold. You know Arnold said about uh, sleeping. Did right? he do something? What What did he say about it? Was it different? Oh yeah. So he was asked. You know, these guys are sleeping for so long. What do you say to them? And he was like, well, my friends, sleep faster. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yes. That's amazing. Yeah. How long did he sleep for? I don't know. It says more, maybe more just in the average range. Yeah. I want to say it was between six and eight hours, but uh, I don't know that for sure. I do know that he he said uh, his advice for people who want to get more done in a day is to sleep faster. I like that. Uh, um, I I don't know if that has an interesting take on the conversation between acceptance and resistance, <laughs> uh, but maybe we'll get back on that later. We can tie it back in. Yeah. So so that has I mean that's a major part of uh, weightlifting uh, in a good way. Resistance in some of those other surface areas have various impacts on our life. Resisting in a more for me kind of a deeper example. I know I can go straight to like illness, ignoring, saying like, oh, I don't have, I'm not like, I'm not sick. That (laughs) sometimes works, but I don't know if I would attribute it to the resisting part of it. Mm -hmm. I would say all the other things I'm doing during the day are probably healthy and just, I just bounce back. But, but the other times, if it is a more serious illness, uh, saying that I don't have it and continuing to go through on my day or like when I was when I was not feeling too too well and I was 24 hours into my second shot of my vaccination mm-hmm. and I said to myself I do not feel bad I feel fine and I'm gonna go push start this motorcycle or try to for 20 minutes <laughs> resisting in that situation only led to my downfall for the next 30 hours right I yeah. was just out for the count yeah and we were just talking about the gym I uh my senior year of high school that's when this was i was power cleaning and i was kind of competing for the record with one of my very best friends from high school i just i was thinking yeah i've got this Uh, i've got another set and uh i'd already done kind of the prescribed number of sets uh but i you know i was really i had my heart set on this this record, this weightlifting record. So I kept going and I didn't have it. Um, I ended up uh, tearing two different discs in my spine. I took the rest of the week off practice. Years later, that still has negative consequences in my life. There are mornings when I wake up and I just have shooting pain down my leg. Mm. I can't, I can't bend over to tie my own shoe or uh, like, it's been so bad some days where I can't like turn my my upper body a certain way to like look or Jeez. reach for something. It just like sends excruciating pain to my lower back. Jeez. Yeah, it's uh, it's been quite quite a battle at points 
and uh, I don't know how much I don't know where you were planning to go with the with this conversation, but I can tell you in that instance with my back injury, the days when I wake up and hurt and think ah, I I wish I I wish I didn't hurt or I wish I wouldn't ever have tried that last power clean. Those days hurt worse physically than the days that I yep. wake up and just say, okay, I'm hurt today, you know? Yeah, I can relate to that. Both of you and I have had the experience with employer of yours and <laughs> guy who taught me a very important lesson, but we had a friend that, I call it the highlighter challenge. <laughs> he just held two highlighters up and, and it was kind of two lessons in one for me. Just two highlighters and one was vanilla ice cream and the other was chocolate ice cream and he just tells you to choose. Um, so you choose and you go through a couple other things and then the topics start to change and it they become a little bit less <laughs> something to look forward to <laughs> um, as far as illness, tragic events or something like that. And then he takes one of the highlighters away and there's only one highlighter and he, and he challenges you. You know, one of the examples is just uh, to pick one out of the ether is cancer. Mm-hmm. So you just hold up the highlighter to you and he says, cancer, choose. Right. And... I have never, ever seen that be done or done it to others because it's actually a pretty regular part of my teaching whenever I teach lessons in church. Mm-hmm. I've probably experienced it or done it two dozen times. Mm-hmm. Never had somebody just like first try choose into it. They're always like, uh, I want to do something different or I want something different. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is like in this scenario, like there is nothing different. Like you have cancer. Right. You're choosing into the experience and... Uh, my own, I had a family member that did that, was asked that question, and they got very um, emotional or very agitated, uh, and and they didn't want to choose that. And the concept behind that is, um, you have in this situation, you have cancer, whether you choose into it or not. Mm-hmm. And the science that goes behind the the kind of the basis of that lesson is there is science behind folks that have chosen into and have embraced. The reality of their illness, in this case cancer, reported less pain and also higher uh, recovery rates, right? Uh, than the people that resisted and just and just fought it uh, the entire way. And and the word fight that can mean different things. Mm-hmm. That was fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, you're talking about uh, what you fight, you only make stronger, right? Yeah, yeah. So in this scenario, fighting. Like the reality of having cancer makes cancer stronger. Yes. Um, not that, you know, f- <laughs> not that giving up if you have cancer is going to cure you of cancer. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You still fight, like, you still fight the illness, but you don't fight against having the illness. Yeah. This gets into, you know, we're going to, we're going to start jumping around here, but, but the word fight in that situation is the people that have embraced it, they're not necessarily, fighting cancer uh disclaimer i don't i've never gone through this experience um but uh, in in some senses they are just choosing into life instead of focusing on uh the disease Mm -hmm. and that gets into that gets into kind of the alternative of resisting something i want to like i want to quickly i have my own example that i can really more speak from experience from and not not make assumptions uh, for other people uh, in mine 
cancer is not the the one that I have. Um, I have a chronic illness, though. I'll have to I'll have to edit in. I never I never remember the name of my own uh, illness. <laughs> oh no, because it's so it's so long. Uh-huh. Uh Oh, epidermalosis. Okay, so it's epidermalosis bullosa simplex. Wow, that is a lot. Yeah. That's a mouthful, man. Yeah, long names, lots of syllables, but that's what I have. Uh, my understanding of it, the body reject does not have and also rejects uh, collagen, uh, which mm-hmm. is liquid in between the layers of skin. Mm-hmm. Folks that have any knowledge in this probably can tell me I'm wrong. What that translates into is, is friction or any kind of tensity uh, on the skin uh, just makes uh, blisters, and that's, mm. the, that's the extent of it. Mm-hmm. That was very invasive as a as a child, uh, to the point where I couldn't wear uh, streets uh, street shoes to school. I had to wear mm-hmm. slippers. Doing anything uh, really hasn't changed, but but doing anything past my boundaries, the boundaries have changed. But um, causes probably three three days to like a week of kind of being out for the count, wow. of being able to walk, or if I had used my hands, being able to kind of effectively uh, use my hands. That was something that I resisted for a long time. Just instead of choosing into things that worked for me, I just sat in that resentment and that those thoughts that you were talking about as far as, you know, I wish that I hadn't ever done that last set. Mm -hmm. I was just sitting in that, like, I wish that I could do these things that I couldn't instead of do instead of thinking of things that I could do. I was just focused on the, the things that I knew that I couldn't do. Right. The, the logical things that were outside of my reach and just being resentful of, of those things. Uh, I have found that I've, as I've gotten older, uh, my emotional state does affect how bad or how good, like how quickly I can recover from it. Hmm. Um, and my mental, like where my, me- and my mental state too. Yeah. Those have had tangible effects. Right. You know, one thing people don't under, people don't know about emotions is that emotions are experienced physiologically. Yeah. Um, there was a unit of a class I took in college uh, where we studied the physiology of emotion. And it was, at the time, it was fascinating. But, you know, learning learning from the therapists at Desert Solace and how uh, everything is energy, essentially. And, you know, emotions are, are energy. And, you know, they exist within our bodies. This, this energy exists within our bodies. It makes a lot more sense to me now. But there are empirical studies, like scientific observations on how, on how emotions physically affect you. Emotions like anger and fear can have like long-term deleterious effects on your body and organs, especially your joints. Uh, I, yeah, I think absolutely. Uh, I think. I think fear like it really hurts your joints for some reason. And so people with like like clinical depression or uh like a clinical anxiety disorder, they will have like physical symptoms of like arthritis or something, you know, if it if it goes untreated for so long, you know? And there's the very and there's the obvious one of like depending on your emotions, if those translate into being physically tense, then mm-hmm. that's going to have a very obvious and pretty immediate effect on the body. Yeah, people, exactly. You know, people oh, experience yeah. headaches or whatever. Oh, yeah. Muscle tension, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, the more 
tense your muscles are for the long for longer periods of time you know lactic acid starts to build up in your muscles and that's that's a very real source of pain uh, as well and there's even there's even studies that work in the opposite direction dr ekman did a series of studies all over the world where he demonstrated that holding your body and your face in certain positions can evoke certain emotions and he actually uh, mapped yeah. out have you heard about this have i told you about this it's i mean either if he was the first one his work is a very popular like as far as the facial expressions can do um right turn into emotions right uh, yeah. very popular part of uh, the field yeah yeah he yeah ekman pioneered that research um and he did it he showed that it was uh culturally universal at least the five main emotions happiness sadness anger fear and disgust those are universal across all cultures and he mapped out on the face what muscles to pull and what where to put your eyebrows your upper cheeks your lower cheeks and your mouth and your nose like the bridge of your nose we did (laughs) we did a little activity in one of my psychology classes where uh we watched a video and the researcher i think it was Ekman, he told you what to do with your face step by step and then he had you close your eyes and hold that facial expression for like 20 seconds and to notice your heart rate and the temperature in your face and uh mm-hmm. he had us make a scared face and I could feel, like when we closed our eyes and just noticed what was going on, I could feel my heart beat faster and my hearing got better because mm. my body was like searching for threats. Yeah. And I've, I mean, I've experienced that through, through my whole life with this uh, condition. I want to put, I want to put two of my current, like the two of the things that I deal with in front and, and you can kind of tell me uh, like what's going on. So we have the, the physical skin condition and my childhood was full of like every day all day like the 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 things that i was saying to myself Mm -hmm. in my head is like i don't want to be bedridden i hate having these restrictions i don't want to have these restrictions i want to do these things that i'm being restricted from doing and then the other thing in my life is um, the addiction and the addiction recovery that i've gone through and all the sayings there was um uh, don't act out don't don't do this. Don't do that. And you've you've said the saying already. But what's what's going on there? You're resisting something, and so the the so whatever you're resisting is persisting in your perception. In addiction, you fight the urge to act out, and it just gets stronger. It doesn't go away. I mean, both of us can attest to that. It doesn't go away because you don't want it. There there comes a point where you yeah. have to just accept the like accept the negative feelings that you're feeling and just be willing to feel them the example that i love to give to folks is i i feel it gives it's a simple it gives a really clear picture on what's going on um it's the stereotypical uh, don't think about the pink elephant i love that one yeah um it's so simple um and it's it's used it's used very it's it's a pretty commonly used thing Mm -hmm. but that is exactly what's going on oh yeah. yeah exactly but the deeper part of that, and I think you've talked about it before on the show, is when I say don't think about the pink ele- elephant, the mind doesn't recognize the word don't. Mm-hmm. And that's that can be said, that's a jokey thing to say sometimes, but that is really what's going on. 
the mind does not recognize the word not, don't, or no in anything that that somebody says to you or that you say to yourself. Right. Uh, that I say to myself. And so what is happening in my brain is I'm just telling myself to think about the pink elephant. And what is happening in my addiction, I would go through in previous forms of, of recovery attempts, is 90 times a day I'm telling myself to think about acting out. Right. I'm not going to make it through that day. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine... Like, imagine if you were actually telling yourself to go act out 90 times a day. Imagine telling, huh. imagine hearing from somebody else to, to make your bed when you got home 90 times that day. Are yeah. you going to forget about making your bed that day? Like, it gives me such clarity as far as the struggle that I would have first mentally and then emotionally and then physically because they all lead, in, lead into each other. Mm -hmm. I was reminded... This is, this is a talk for a completely different uh, day, but I do, on a rare basis, I do experience anxiety attacks. Yeah. And that is, a, that is a prime example of something like mental to emotional to physical mm -hmm. that is felt across the board at the end, by the end of it. Oh, yeah. In times that I have been like at the apex of trying to like resist to really throw out the, you know, some of the darker events, but like sitting in the car just like sweating in the middle of the night just like trying not to do anything because i don't know what to do mm -hmm. and i could be i could be in that car for hours and hearing it said that way where i'm just telling myself in that moment a thousand times a second to to act out uh, that makes so much sense yeah so that's i mean that's enough with the with the negative stuff uh and you talked about your stuff as far as your days when you resist uh and the, and the days when you aren't uh, as far as your physical pain uh, from a past experience. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about acceptance a little bit. So what is, I mean, what's the alternative? In these past episodes, we've gone over these negative effects um, and, and turning the corner. I mean, what other options are out there instead of resisting something? Well, accepting it, right? Uh, you, you said it, choosing in. I can think of a really good example of this having almost, almost but not quite immediate effect in my life. In Little League football, we're talking sixth grade, I think. This was my first experience with tackle football, with all the pads and, you know, full contact and everything. And I loved it. It was such a great outlet. Many young children would as soon as they discover a full contact sport. Yes. Yeah, especially for, especially for me personally, because I just, I, well... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna justify this. I loved being violent, and this was a great outlet <laughs> for me to be violent nice. and like be as absolutely violent as I could. Uh, right after, just look at the person I was just fighting and just like be completely fine with it and be completely friendly to them again. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Uh, I love football. It's great. <laughs> great so anyway my first year of little league tackle football i'm loving it but i'm not very good at it and uh well i you know i obviously i start out not very good but then about halfway through the season i was starting to gain confidence and i told my coach hey coach i think i can start i think i can be a starting lineman for you Oof, i and, like uh, it and Coming off the bench. Yeah. So I thought, um, he was oh, like, uh, well. uh, look. <laughs> yeah, he was like, uh, look, you're not there yet. And uh, okay. I I was like, what? 
<laughs> and uh, I went straight into resistance. And so there was like a week of practice or a couple of days of practice where I was just in my head about like, oh, maybe I'm not actually that good. Or maybe, maybe I'm like disconnected from reality. Because I was definitely using verbiage like that in sixth grade. I wasn't. But then, like, I got over it eventually. And I just, I told myself, fine. I know I can do this. I think I can do this. I know I can do this. And uh, all I have to do is to do what my coach wants me to do to show him that I can do this. And then, at that point, let go of being a starter I accepted my position as a second string lineman. I just put my head down and went to work as a second string lineman. Uh, I think it was maybe two weeks. I can't remember exactly, but it was by the end of the season, I was I was the starter because I let go of resisting being on the bench or being the second string. And you let go of the need right. to, to have it. And to have it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And just accepting reality. This is where this is where I am. You know, I know where I want to be. I think I can get there. And so I'm just going to show everybody that I can. That's been a huge inspiration for me, self five, where I can look back at that and think, you know, in my adult life, I just got rejected for a bunch of uh, grad school programs, a bunch of PhD uh, grad school oh, programs. Right, and right. Uh, I mean, still today, I think, no, I can get there. I know I can do this. So now I just get to do what they want me to do to prove, to show them that I can do it. Yeah, man, you bring up so many good points uh, when you were talking about that. Receiving feedback is a huge area where I, you know, on a daily basis, I can totally find myself in resistance and defensive. Oh, yeah. And it's so hard. It's so hard for me. I have, oh, I have have just a massive ego. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's just, it's very hard sometimes to hear feedback, but... uh, yeah, I think one of one of the most important things in moving from resistance to acceptance for me. Yeah, it's definitely one of the first one of the main things for myself. I know I was on the other side of it um, just the other day in our in our work. Everybody, I, I mean, I kind of serve as the assistant to a lot of these uh, folks for their clients uh, when they when they need help. And every once in a while, because I'm just you know I'm talking to to their clients, they're not mine. Every once in a while, I'll just hear something that gives the indication that maybe they're not happy with uh, their main agent who I'm uh, who I'm helping. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they're not getting calls back, or or the, they don't feel the communication is isn't enough. Or on my end, you know, it's easier on my end. It's still not the easiest. It doesn't really matter what is actually going on, and if the client is wrong, because that's not that's not what is going to affect them staying or not. Mm-hmm. The, the fact is, is that the client feels this way, no matter what the reality is. Right. And right. so even if the communication is good, if the client thinks the communication is not, the client will leave. Right. So right. even if it's good, I still, it is still my job to relay that feedback to the agent, basically saying, hey, the client has responded to me saying uh, in this example, again, the communication is not great. And that is hard. F- <laughs> that's hard feedback to, to get. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're being told by somebody else that something's going on less than perfect. Right. And a lot of times, maybe it is a miscommunication. There's, I'm being vague for a reason, but there's a whole spectrum of, of people in the real estate market. It could very often be that the agent has done everything that they could. 
but it's still important for them to know that the client doesn't feel that way. The feedback is the feedback is still there and it's hard oh, to yeah. receive oh, yeah. and I don't like receiving it on my end. And then the other thing is is almost the first foundational step is accepting the emotion that's there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I I would say I would argue that the f- the very very first step is to notice what's there. Is to Yeah, the awareness. Right. To realize that I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. And that's that's okay to not be okay, you know? Something, yeah, something isn't working for you. Right. It's okay to admit that you're not okay. I mean, at least to yourself. That is, I mean, as far as, like, being vulnerable, people get so weird about being vulnerable, right? And a lot of yeah. people think, myself included, that being vulnerable is a sign of weakness. And it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and so, at least... To yourself, if you're not ready or willing to admit that you're not okay to somebody else, at least admit to yourself, I'm not okay, and and that's okay to not be okay. And just start there. Then you can move into, you know, feeling what you're feeling and, and accepting the emotion there. I think that's what you were getting into. Yeah, and that's a huge part of it. Of And that's something that I, I when I came into rehab, there was a lot of things that I logically thought I knew and there was still, you know, there was a lot of things that I just wasn't actually doing. I just had an awareness of people can be very smart on the subject of addiction recovery mm-hmm. and still be deep uh, in addiction. Mm. Me as a prime example, <laughs> the one thing that I couldn't even, I couldn't even take credit for, for having a, a knowledge of was the importance of feeling the negative emotions mm-hmm. and processing, processing through them. And like, one of the big big examples is uh, like grief or if there's been like a loss in the family yeah. or in addiction, the addiction and those those habits and the, the emotions that I got out of those stop. There is a loss there mm-hmm. and ignoring that is resistance. I'm, li- I'm, I'm lying to myself about the reality. Right. And so the importance of sitting in and and accepting and, and just letting myself feel the loss uh, the loneliness, the sadness, whatever was coming up mm-hmm. because of this change in my life was important. There didn't need to be shame that I was feeling these things about addiction. Um, it was a loss like any other loss, and the body doesn't care what type of loss it is. It's going to feel, it's going to have that reaction. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have it, then I've skipped a step, and that does, <laughs> that's not really a thing. Right. You can't skip steps. Yeah, uh, and that was huge. that was huge for me. After the emotion after feeling the emotions we get to do the thing that's really visibly different than resisting which isn't uh we get it we have a choice now right when you wake up having that pain for the day i mean what is what's the other thing that you can do i mean the other thing besides hurting (laughs) Uh, that's present that's a i mean that day that's a reality Right. right so so instead of resisting in this case you have accepted the reality you have accepted the physical pain and what, I mean, what happens now that works for you more than what you had done in the past? Mm. Yeah, I just look forward to hurting all day. Okay. Well. Um, no, serious. I look forward to it. And I kind of, you know, as I'm getting ready for the day and waking up and doing my morning routine, I just look at the things that I was planning on doing, uh, you know, going over my daily schedule or whatever. And I remind myself, okay, this is going to, that is going to hurt more. So, I mean, I'm not, 
I'm not joking about looking forward to hurting. I do that and I, I count on it and I plan on it. And, uh, you know, that, that does a lot for me as far as, you know, uh, taking the, taking the resistance out for one, but taking the unknown of, of what the day is going to be like. I just know that uh, this is going to hurt. I'm going to hurt more today. And there's, there's things I do to manage the pain. Yoga is a big thing and obviously resting and, you know, knowing, knowing my limitations and my boundaries, like you, like you mentioned. Yeah. I, uh, I just, I plan on it. I, I count on, I look forward to it and, and I, and I'm just open to it. And then if the pain goes away, which sometimes, not all the time, sometimes the pain does go away throughout the day, uh, as, as I loosen up and as that area, that area of my back gets loosened up and I, I get moving, the pain does sometimes just go away on its own. And, and then the rest of the day is that much better because I was already planning on hurting, you know, that went away. So that's a bonus. Yeah. When we're talking about acceptance versus resistance, there are things that we can and can't control. Mm-hmm. And some of these things we get into, I get into trouble if I get those mixed up and the days uh, like for your back stepping into it is not like accepting it with the intention of like the pain of with the intention of the pain going away. Right. right. That's that's not necessarily a full acceptance. And when I'm uh, I'll use like a recent example, because uh, I did go over my my limit last week or two weeks ago, but I uh, I was running. I've been running every day and, and we can actually get into that Um on how that's different than it used to be in the past, mm-hmm. but running every day and I, and I could feel it. I, it being a lifelong condition, I can feel my boundaries and when they're starting to be hit. And mm-hmm. if I stop like right when I'm there, then I can uh, get away without any kind of uh, blister or any kind of effect to my skin at all. And mm-hmm. then the next morning I can wake up just like fully reset and right. just good to go. Right. But if I push those boundaries then it's kind of like a multiplicative, like, okay, I ran for another, I ran for another mile, 10 minutes, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Well, surely 10 or more minutes. Uh, <laughs> let's not get ahead of myself on my times on a mile. I ran an, an additional mile. And because of that, uh, I now can't physically uh, run for probably five or six days. Nice. Um, when I do that, and I wake up the next morning and I step into acceptance and I process my emotions and I go through I go through everything that I get to do. I'm not accepting and then and then shirking it off. I'm accepting the reality and I'm accepting uh, what's going to be different. And I'm, I'm also accepting the pain. I laughed about it, but but I can actually relate to it a lot that, OK, my day looks a little bit different yeah. um, or it doesn't. And my experience of it is going to be a little bit different. And I accept that that new experience. And kind of going back to that that shift on when I started to accept the condition in general was I was still avoiding just in different ways. I uh, there was a lot of resentment of I had family members that they were very into sports like mm-hmm. football and basketball, uh, getting scholarships, having people uh, having like scouts look at them. Wow. The condition was uh, albeit worse when I was young, but uh, doing sports was not a physical option mm-hmm. uh, for me when I was uh, when I was that young, and that and. I spent time focusing on what I couldn't do. And then eventually around the time that I started working, I really started to step into things that I could do. And my work and my fun all started to, to turn to things that were very possible for me in my, in my position. And so I attribute that to a lot to, first of all, I find football and like baseball and basketball just horribly boring to watch. Gosh, dang it, Jordan. 
I was always into to video games. I started doing a lot of my jobs revolved. Or I worked at a gym, but my jobs were all uh, customer service based. I really started to get into that section of it and, and enjoying that type of job and becoming good at that, becoming good at talking because I could talk for as long as I needed to. That didn't have anything to do with my condition, mm-hmm. but there was still a form of resistance there. I wasn't, I wasn't accepting that. I was avoiding it. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't something I realized until I went to rehab and I met <laughs> Brian. Hooray. And this guy is like, Hey, I understand you can talk, but I need you to scale down this cliff. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I didn't like an that. actual cliff too. Yeah, um, and I didn't want to do that. That's not where my strengths were. I had built a life around not needing to touch this, um, not needing to to be physically fit, and I didn't like that. <laughs> it was hard in all aspects: emotionally, mentally, physically, mm-hmm. spiritually. Some choice prayers were said, but uh, there were false beliefs there yeah. that I had put on myself. Some things happened because of my condition. And because of that, I put a blanket restriction on all things physical, put it away for 10 years. And then I come back to this place where it's 103 degrees at 3 p.m. And we're going hiking twice a week. And I'm telling myself that, like, we can't do this. Like, we have to fill out medical documents. Like, we're going to have to change the schedule for the whole group. The the staff there is looking at me like, oh, he's going to be one of those guys. (laughs) And uh, I came in with a I came in with a box of wraps uh, and gauze just to like get ready for this experience. Mm-hmm. I know there was a day and I, I came in with, what was it like a hundred ounces of Epsom salt that uh, for people that don't know what that is, it just means that you haven't needed it before. <laughs> um, there just came a day there were some light switched and I had stepped into it already. If only for the fact that I knew that nothing was going to change. And I physically and emotionally started to step into it as well. And I know it happened the exact day uh, that, uh, my mother had just sent me just two boxes of gauze wrap, 50 plus rolls of gauze. Wow. That shows you how much I was going through gauze previously. Yeah. I was going through I was going through an entire roll um, every day that I was at that center because I had to wrap my hands and I had to wrap my uh, feet every day. And she sends me two, two of these boxes and I'd never had to use a single piece of gauze uh, from either of those boxes. <laughs> wow. This false belief that like I this isn't something I can do at all like at all like I would I would physically stop functioning if I had to do this turned into I'm doing this and I'm and not even that like I'm keeping up with this albeit still jerk of a of a employee <laughs> yeah I accept that I, I don't <laughs> resist that I, I accept yeah, that yeah but I'm keeping up with him and I can still walk the next day by the time we were going out like I I was going on what was it a month of of having done this. Um, and my body was just, my body was good for it. Mm-hmm. And that, whether I wanted to or not, I couldn't ignore anymore that, that I had put on more limitations than I needed to. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to acknowledge that, that I could do more and I could challenge myself in areas that, that I had, uh, given excuses for in, in the past. Mm-hmm. And so now we find ourselves doing something like, uh, the Murph challenge. Yeah. And the Murph challenge has been great, but in all seriousness, pull-ups, for this kind of condition is an is like a mental nightmare yeah because pull-ups are the epitome of like friction and Mm -hmm. pressure on the skin oh yeah but i've done them every day for two weeks now all right and i have not had to stop nice are they getting easier no no i uh, the back muscles took a couple days to like get used to like hey like we need to help kind of thing yeah yeah 
not just like the core and my shoulders. Uh-huh. And then it did get easier. I'm still on like 90 or 80 pounds of assistance. Mm-hmm. I started 110, so I can't be too mad about that. That's pretty good. That's really good. And uh, and I did get a, you know, things just get to work a bit differently. I, I, I get to do pull-ups. I don't necessarily need to just hop up and do 30 pull-ups with my bare hands. I did buy a, a wrap. Yeah, yeah. Or one of those straps for this type of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it is getting easier. And the the point that I'm at now is already a point that, you know, before having this experience at Desert Solace would have never even been in consideration for me. I would yeah. have laughed at you. <laughs> so that's a that's a big tangent from my own example, but that's just because I can comfortably speak about my own experience. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, the the whole cancer thing was just to just to illustrate that that sometimes you don't have a choice, right? Like you don't have a choice to have normal skin or to have like water in between your skin or whatever. Yeah, that's the part that I cannot control. Yeah. And believing otherwise is resistance. Right. Right. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Jordan, uh, and we can end on this. Are you about um, to challenge me to something else? I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. Calm down. I'm your friend. No, I just want to I want to know. We've talked a lot about resistance and acceptance. And what kind of friend would I be if I just if I didn't push you a little bit? So, what My heart is pumping. <laughs> are there or are you aware or I are you aware of any areas of your life right now or any things in your life that you are still actively resisting? Mm, That's a good question. In the same fashion that I chose to, for a long time in my life, avoid the topic of like being like physically active Mm -hmm. with these barriers, Mm -hmm. I would say on that same note, instead of accepting and choosing options and and kind of stepping into it, um, I have avoided uh, school. The majority of the anxiety attacks or what are they called panic attacks anxiety attacks um there's a difference oh okay well the these events that i have uh 90 of the time they happened around uh, school Mm -hmm. and i am i am three classes away from an associate degree Mm -hmm. in college yeah and i have mentally just left that in the past uh because of the emotions and the like the mental places that I was in past times that I tried to do school. Mm-hmm. And so I acknowledge that I have definitely gone in a direction of like avoiding it that, um, and not necessarily accepting it and processing that stuff. Does that make sense? So, yeah. So you're... With the condition thing, like instead of accepting it, I went and found things that could get around it and like found work that could do that, which I, I'm not saying that's an unhealthy thing. Right, right. But I walked around the bush and figured my way around life. And in the same fashion, like instead of finishing school, like I, I, I created a job for myself that didn't require school and mm-hmm. could still give me an income that was good. Mm-hmm. And all these things that could allow me to logically try to justify not going back to school, even gotcha. though at the back of my head, like there is a desire, but there is a, there is a fear right. of having the same mental experiences that I had last time. Right. Right. So you're resisting going back and finishing your associate's degree? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Is there anything wrong with not getting your associate's degree? Uh, there's nothing wrong with, with getting the associate, associate's degree. And I, think I, and I think I have processed that part of it, mm-hmm. if only because I don't like 
uh, school systems. <laughs> but I, I, I have been able to go through that. Um, so I think maybe there could be some more processing on like what I haven't accepted about my emotions mm. about uh, school. Gotcha. And it could be a locational thing because I do very much enjoy things like um, like master classes or like lynda.com mm-hmm. um, or all those all those like online sources for these like online class type things. Right. I found that very helpful for anything from editing to storytelling to, to think to things like that. I've, yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy learning. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. That's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Um, what about, uh, what about you? Does something come to mind or did you have something? Did you have a seed? Did you have a, did you have something you were trying to get me to say? No, I was just wondering, I would, I wanted to see, well, I just wanted to get vulnerable a little bit. Yeah, uh, that's just, so. That would be something that is definitely current in my life. Gotcha, gotcha. Does anything come up for you? Uh, dang it! I was gonna just cut the episode off there, so I didn't have to. Oh no, 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 buddy! I do the <laughs> I do the edit on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier in the in this episode. Grad school. Um, I it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing, actually. Uh, a little different. All summer long, I have been at odds with myself about how to proceed in my academic career. At one point, I thought I was just done with school, and I was just going to learn how to code, and I would be like a software developer. Um, And that was definitely a fear-based thought. That was coming from a space of I I was afraid to get rejected again. Uh, And there are actually free courses online that will teach you how to code and and write all of the all of the like the languages yeah the coding languages there's free resources for that online you can just go do that if you have the time so and then you know that i decided that wasn't for me well i realized that that was a fear-based choice and i didn't want to i didn't want to make a choice that was based on fear so i went back to psychology well what can i do what can I do there? Do I do I reapply for the same exact programs, or uh, or do I take a year off? I'm summarizing several weeks of tormenting myself over what to do next, and uh, I still haven't made a like a concrete choice because I'm still resistant to getting rejected again you know i haven't Mm. i haven't written i haven't like set in stone the choices the programs that i'm going to apply to or anything or or anything along those lines or i haven't even at this point i haven't even researched any new ones because uh i'm still in resistance to to failing again you know there's that fear of failure that's just ever present and so that's that's probably the biggest thing that i'm i'm resisting right now and i've talked with um, some co-workers over at Desert Solace. I've talked with my wife about some options, and I think I have a really good outline of a plan, what I'm going to do. But uh, I'm still... I still haven't taken any concrete action towards anything because I'm still... I'm just still in resistance to it. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, it was very obvious in the last episode that we talked about your grad stuff that mm-hmm. it w- it was definitely present emotionally mentally and physically for you absolutely absolutely i want to quickly um we talk about our experiences and and sometimes i do that under the assumption that the other people are aware of the foundation and 
uh, some of our audience might be. So I just want to quickly go through the step-by-step thing of what I what I do that works for me when like the urge to act out for my addiction goes, and, and you can correct me, um, just so it's all out there. Mm-hmm. So step one is there's the there's the desire to act out. And going down the path that, that is healthy for me, the first thing that happens is the awareness. Mm-hmm. Instead of just having this in the back of my head and trying to go about my day, I fully acknowledge that like I have the desire to uh, to act out or to do this or that. Mm-hmm. Step two is I get to accept that for, for everything that it is. I, I get to accept both that I'm feeling this. I get to step out of shame and challenge myself if I'm feeling any shame about that. Because mm-hmm. it's, emo- it's, it's an emotion I'm feeling. I get to acknowledge that there's... Uh, I get to accept the fact that it is a choice I have. Uh, there's no, there I really, uh, whether or not I want to do it, can I, I do have something? the complete option. Yeah. Oh, maybe you were just about to say it and I cut you off. Do you give yourself the the option of acting out? Yes. Yeah. I. The important thing is I verbally sometimes, but but fully acknowledge that the option is there mm-hmm. uh, to act out. Yeah. And whether I want to uh, uh, or not, I can. Yeah. Then I get to first. Uh, I'm. I don't really know which goes first. You can probably tell me, Brian. But mm-hmm. the two next things are both. Maybe uh, challenging myself to go a little bit deeper. Why am I feeling this? What emotionally, spiritually, or or mentally? Uh, what about myself is missing, or what am I short on right now? What what ha- what needs have I not met? That's a good way to. That's mm-hmm. that's the way that I want to yeah. say it. Yeah. What what needs am I not meeting that is turning into this? And then I also get to look at all the options, and instead of resisting one thing, I've already acknowledged that I can act out if I want to. I get to look at another option. I get to choose to go down that path. Specifically with my recovery, it's a very spiritual-based recovery for me, so I get to I get to add in there that uh, surrender to my higher power is a, is a big thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, in general, that's my process of acceptance. Do you have anything to add to that or to modify? No, that, uh, that was perfect. Actually, I would add, specifically in addiction recovery, uh, reaching out to, to a friend in recovery is, mm, uh, yes. is also a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. maybe I can ask you this. I mean, you talked about your, your fear of being rejected. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like verbally saying that out loud to somebody else? I mean, do you feel like that has an effect on you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Big time even. Cause in my head, the thought that I might get rejected is so big, right? There's nothing to compare. It's just in my head. It's a thought in my head and there's no reference for the, yeah. the, th- the thought. But saying it out loud puts it in the physical world. And then it's like you've been thinking these words uh, over and over again sometimes. But then when you say them, you can, like, you finally hear uh, how stupid they sound. Or, you know, you see, you hear how they sound. There's a reality of it, not the abyss. Right. Because we talked about the how your mind doesn't comprehend certain things. You talked about how your mind doesn't hear the word no or don't. Yeah. Um, it's not good at like your subcon your your mind isn't good at qualifying things. Uh, how do you say uh, estimating proportioning things or, or yeah. scale putting things to scale? Yes, estimating scale. Yeah, that's what I want to say. Your mind's not good at estimating scale. You can measure things in your mind, but how do you measure a thought? right? You, you can't measure yeah. that. So your mind's not yeah. good at, at perceiving any kind of scale for this. 
And so in your head, it just seems so big and so scary. But then you say it out loud and then something about the vibrating uh, air particles that hit your ear and send a signal to your brain, something about that makes it so much smaller most of the time. And so there is a yeah. very real power in uh, vocalizing your your thoughts to somebody else, whether they're, you know, fears about your future or, you know, urges to act out or whatever, whatever you're thinking, reaching out to somebody is, is hugely powerful. And I know, um, you know, the power goes from having this massive urge to, to act out again in addiction recovery uh, goes away a little bit when saying it. And then it also, uh, again, doing something that works instead of resisting something that doesn't. Mm-hmm. When I tell verbalize uh, what I'm going through to somebody, they respond in the form of I can relate in, in this way and I can relate to what you're going through. The urge and the feeling of addiction gets replaced with connection. Right. And I don't know if we've mentioned it before, but uh, you can say you can say it better than I do. But what what is the relationship between addiction and connection? Mm-hmm. It's always been a big thing. The opposite of addiction is connection. A lot of people, including myself, for a long time thought that sobriety was the opposite of addiction. Right. That's not the, that's not the case. Right. Sobriety yeah. is the lack of acting out in the addiction, and that's that's a that's a component of it. Sobriety is a is a component of recovery, but it's not. It isn't recovery yeah. in itself. Yeah. Connection is the replacement and the, the greater, uh, the higher, f- what would you say, the higher frequency mm-hmm. thing Yeah, that replaces uh, addiction in my life. Mm-hmm. So um, I just wanted to get that out there. And I appreciate uh, giving those specific instances for addiction recovery. Those are two huge things Yeah, that, uh, that get to be added in there. Thanks for listening, everybody. We've been wanting to do this episode for a while now. So uh, we thought it would be a great week to do that. Um, so, uh, look forward to another interview. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it for our next episode. Brian, I want to, I want to propose something to you on the air uh, as far as our next serious topic. Is this what it's like to be in the hot seat? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You can feel your heart pumping. Um, because it was a, it was a random comment that you made to me on a portion of a previous episode that I actually edited out because I was self-conscious about it. Okay. Uh, how do you feel about next episode that we do this kind of thing, uh, talking about ego? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Something I'm for the audience super, to uh, look forward to. Yeah. I'm super into an ego episode. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, thanks everybody. Uh, you can, uh, you can do all the usuals. Uh, we have all the social medias and you can do all the ratings and, uh, we'll talk to you in the next one. Thank you.